We've all heard the saying that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So where might we have blind spots around us in our culture from then until now? We're getting into it right now at Grow With Tim. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Grow With Tim podcast. I'm Jay Du. And I'm Tim Joyner. And we're talking about blind spots today. We've brought this up at a previous episode once or twice, but we're actually going to get into some cultural questions to help us understand each other a little better. So, Tim, remind us, what is a blind spot? I have seen you do some shorts on it in terms of our social media. Remind our audience, what does blind spot mean? And we're not just talking about a car here. I'm yeah, assuming. right. No, so a blind spot is is a liability. It's some sort of a, a thing that's holding you back that is obvious to everybody else, but usually isn't obvious to you, right? So mm-hmm. you can't see it. You're too close. It's just normal to you. So it might be a personal habit that you have. It might be a way that you speak verbal clutter. It might be uh, the way that you frequently introduce errors in your emails, or it could be the way you dress or I mean, all kinds of different things, just the way you carry yourself that everybody else notices and kind of thinks poorly of you. And you just carry on blissfully ignorant. All right. So tell us how a blind spot, before we get into some of the things that we wanted to have in just a conversation today, tell us how a blind spot can hinder your growth when it comes to business or entrepreneurship or leading a team. Yeah, I think there are a lot of personal habits that we have that we acquire without really realizing it that send off the wrong message. Everybody's Everybody knows about the importance of a, making a strong first impression, right? Sometimes you make crappy first impressions and you don't even realize it. People write you off because your hair is always messed up or because you always have stains on your shirt or maybe a lot less obvious, maybe more subtle would be you have a lot of verbal clutter. That's a, that's a constant struggle of mine. I say um and ah and I fill in things not as much anymore as I used to, but it's a distraction, an unnecessary distraction. I think I've told you before, I heard a speech about this topic now more than a decade ago. And at the conclusion of the speech, the the speaker knew me fairly well. And she was talking about how blind spots really hold you back. And I went up to her and I said, hey, you've known me for a long time. What's my blind spot? And she didn't miss a beat. She said, oh, Tim, it's your truck. And I said, well, what do you mean? I love my truck. Like, it gets me where I want to go. It's very utilitarian. It's paid for. Like, I love my truck. Hold on. Did you actually say that back I did. to her? Oh, yeah, I did. Well, you're asking her what the blind spot is, and <laughs> then know. you tell her how much you love your fair, truck. <laughs> fair point. Fair. See, it was blind spot. Right. right? I didn't, okay. I, it had never, literally, it had never crossed my mind that there was any problem with my truck. I was perfectly happy with my And what she said was, look, Tim, you're trying to sell fifty dollars $100,000 projects, right? And you pull in between a Mercedes and a BMW and you're driving a little 96 Dodge Dakota that's got a few scratches on it, and people, like, it plants questions in their minds. People are saying, huh, is he not very successful? Can he not afford a better vehicle? Maybe, can I really trust him with my business? Like, it doesn't look like he's really all that credible, and it just puts a distraction in their minds that doesn't have to be there. And so shortly after that, I went out and I bought a BMW. I got a used BMW I got a very good deal on it. I was fiscally responsible. I was still pretty young at the time, not making a lot of money. So I didn't go out and make a foolish decision, but I did buy a better looking vehicle. And you know what? It made a difference. Do you think it did? Oh, it absolutely did. Mm -hmm. There's no question that people started treating me differently. They stopped questioning some of my proposals as, and like I was able to charge a premium price. People made decisions faster. It absolutely 
removed an unnecessary distraction. So, now, when you buy a BMW to make your ride and the perception of your success credibility go up, does a new BMW also come with a new wardrobe? I'm trying to figure out what was the trickle-down effect of this. Did it well, make you uncover maybe other things about yeah. how you presented yourself? Yeah, I did. I'm, I went through, and I'm not saying that I've mastered all this. Sure. I'm sure I still have lots of blind spots, but I, hopefully I have fewer than I used to. Yeah, I did. I started working with a custom clothier that made clothes for me that actually fit. You and I are both pretty small guys. Colors that match and St clothes that fit, yeah, right? Stuff off the rack does not <laughs> fit me well. And okay. So, and, and there, but I also went to Toastmasters and I tried to get better at public speaking and tried to up my communication game and, and just systematically tried to remove unnecessary distractions. And all those things have helped for sure. But again, I didn't go crazy. Like the BMW I bought, I paid $7,000 for, okay. right? Now it was a, had 140,000 miles on it. It looked great on the outside, and it was definitely an upgrade over the 96 Dodge Dakota. But I'm. it's not like I went out and made this irresponsible decision to spend a ton of money that I didn't have at the time. Sure. Right? So right, right. anyway, I want to make sure that I'm I'm not saying go out and run up your credit card bill and buy a bunch of stuff that you don't need. But do think twice about what is the, the message that I'm sending. But anyway, so that's blind spots. But yeah, that's not well, really what we're talking about today. Right, right. We are going to talk a couple of things about the cultural aspects of blind spots and how you can lead a team of people who are different than you. But it does remind me of an accountant that I had for a while who got herself into some great rooms and that completely changed her customer. Just being in the certain rooms that she was in brought up the credibility because it was a pay-to-play type situation. Yeah. So there were some networking groups that she decided to be a part of and it completely changed her business experience because there was a perceived level of value for the yeah. people who were part of that group. So this is a total rabbit trail, but I'll tell you one story that Good. you made me think of. I remember when I was a pretty young entrepreneur, I I heard about these networking events that you had to pay to go to. Right. And it was like 30 bucks for breakfast. Okay. And I and I kind of laughed to myself like these silly people spending 30 bucks on breakfast. Don't you know that The Grand Slam at down to Denny's <laughs> is like 6.99. So, What's wrong with these people? I thought, you know what? There I could go to a networking event every day of my life for free. Like there are so many opportunities to meet people. Why would I spend 30 bucks? And I kind of, you know, I'm smarter than all these people. I'm not. And then one day I went to one of those events because there was a speaker I really wanted to hear. And so I ponied up my 30 right. bucks for breakfast and I, and I noticed something dramatic. I've probably <laughs> told you this story before. I noticed that the people who spend $30 on breakfast are decision makers. They were like CEOs and COOs and CFOs and business owners and entrepreneurs that were actually successful who were there to meet people and make purchasing decisions. The people that went to the networking events that I went to, the free ones, were all there to sell stuff. They were like recent college grads selling cable TV subscriptions or business phone services or all these things that they were selling. Nobody was buying and they weren't decision makers. And I thought, holy cow, I'm never going to go to a free networking event again. So anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're here to was talk about Was the breakfast today, any better? That's what I want to know. What were they eating over there? No, the breakfast was... It wasn't it about was the breakfast. It was a breakfast. Who knew? But, right? but it was about the, the pay-to-play that you mentioned. So anyway, but we're here today to talk about not just individual blind spots, but ways that entire cultures or subcultures maybe have some blind spots. And so for our listening audience, some of you have watched us online. Some of you have figured out that Jeremiah, do and I don't look alike, right? right We've right. been friends for a long time, but we come from different backgrounds mm -hmm. and we are of different races. That's never been a problem for us as far as sure. I know. But well, we're here to tell you today, <laughs> Tim, finally. <laughs> yeah, Maybe I'm going to find out about some blind no, spots. No, I hope no. I do. Right. So 
I'm I've always admired you because you you went to school. Um, we, we went to school together. Yes, right. There weren't very many people look right, like you. Right, predominantly white uh, environment by far. Yep. And of course, we live in a country that is like that. But there are sectioned off neighborhoods and zones and schools where you do have cultural kind of um, homogenous yeah. zones, right? But I, that's not how we know each other. Yeah, at all. Exactly. So I want to, yes. I ask you, you know, we're, we're recording this on MLK day. Yes. It's going to come out in black history month. And, right. I, and I am sure that I have all kinds of blind spots around this. I think that I'm a, a pretty uh, reasonable person, but I'm sure that there are things that I just don't understand about what it's like to be you. Sure. And, and I hope that I can educate myself and maybe a whole lot of listeners that may, may have the same blind spots that I do. Well, let's talk about that. Let's kind of talk with uh, some cultural aspects that we are all probably pretty familiar with in the last two and a half years now. And it was all of the um, consciousness that came to the forefront and rose to the top around the last two or three years of kind of the racial struggle on television. We were seeing this political turmoil turn into black lives and blue lives and white lives and all lives. And I think that helped a lot of us become a little bit more conscious that there are different groups around there who have a voice or something to say, but maybe we haven't been hearing that voice well. So I'll tell you first that uh, for me, what was interesting to me is how, uh, as many of you know, I've brought it up here many times on our podcast. You can go back and listen to other episodes, but being that it is MLK Day 2023, uh, I do have a Black History One Man stage experience that I do. And it's a historic version of several voices, Frederick Douglass, MLK, Barack Obama, and several others who have kind of paved the path for some of the civil rights and the integration that uh, we've experienced over really the course of the last 50, 60 years. And what I've noticed is that there are many, many, many corporate groups and environments who have started to pull in more inclusive and diverse opportunities for their people. And what, of course, that we all know generally in most cases that there have been a very high level of folks who are um, Caucasian and white folks who have been leading the teams around sure. our country and world for, for a long time. And, of course, we're not here to shame anybody. We're not here to train the trainer. That's not what we're doing here about cultural and diversity. But what have a, a lot of people started to realize is, like, man, there might be a lot of people that we're alienating who even do work in and around or but potentially are our vendors or clients or customers because we're not associating several of their holidays, their festivals, their way of life, their entertainment choices, their family, the way they celebrate their families. And I think that in many ways, it's a wonderful thing that a lot of people have started to have more of an inclusive environment. Yeah. So let's give some specifics, yeah, some details. When we first started going to school together, the school that is very specific, on purpose, pigeonholed themselves into a certain sect of uh, denominational Christianity. And there was no celebration of a day like today. Right. There was no actual holiday day off of school for the college kids um, for MLK Day. Now, I think, I don't know because I'm coming from a different perspective. I think that folks in a majority culture have realized, we'll call it majority culture, yeah. I think, for the rest of our podcast, yeah. to kind of just be inclusive here and let everybody know that we're okay with you out there. God created you to be who you are. But I really wonder, did people think that that was okay, or did they just not know? Hmm. 
on a day like today, we're celebrating MLK's legacy through his birthday. His birthday is the 15th of January, but we always have that day of service and MLK Day on Monday. So there's no school today. Many things are closed. Federal holiday, bank holiday, things like that. And uh, what MLK was doing generally for the people who were disenfranchised in the 1950s and 60s as he gained notoriety around his book in the Montgomery Bus Boycott, leading into the dream speech in 1963, et cetera, et cetera, What he was preaching and teaching was not very popular at the time, but overall we've adopted one specific piece of his pie, and that was the ability to conscientiously object in a nonviolent way to things that the Constitution of the United States actually allowed for and actually offered. And I think that is a beautiful thing. Now, there's many miles to go for the beloved community, but for a group or a um, specific uh, political faction— um, for a church environment. There's a lot of people of faith who obviously have opinions about people who were also of faith, like Michael, uh, I mean, Michael King became Martin Luther King. They, it's very divisive to try to call into question other motives or other areas of someone's life when the main thing we're trying to celebrate might be unity and togetherness. Mm. So I'll give you another for instance. Um, for many years, Michael Jackson was under investigations all the time for these allegations around very bad things, of course, with uh, potential child molestation and things like that. But that doesn't necessarily have to take away from the fact that his music was something we pretty much all enjoy. Now, that does not mean that I am just condoning everybody's behavior in every area, but when you're listening to a song of Michael Jackson and, of course, Now he's been legally acquitted and cleared of charges, even post-death and things like that. It's very divisive for a disenfranchised community to have blanket statements thrown at them by a majority culture that this guy is all bad. And, of course, they were throwing the red smear all over everybody in the 50s and 60s. Well, if we don't like them from a government standpoint, they're communists. And communist, of course, is just a bad word to us, you know, red-blooded American capitalists. So I think that's that's one idea. Let me give you another one, Tim, and let me ask you a question here to maybe confront a situation that may or may not have ever come up in your mind. So I grew up in California in several of the years of the 1990s, and I uh, was in Southern California, and there was this big trial going on. It was O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Now, all of us who are probably listening to this are old enough to remember some of the things that surrounded that crazy time. And of course, there are victims inside this entire case with, of course, a double murder that went on. But the question mark that I have is whether or not OJ is guilty. And the reason I asked this question is not because I did all the forensic research. The reason is, is because actually I got to a psychology book in college and it said that there was a difference polarizing right down the line of black Americans and white Americans about whether or not OJ was guilty. And it blew my mind because I thought, what do you mean? He was acquitted of the charges. What do you mean? There's people who think he was guilty. I had never heard that before. Interesting. I not at all. Yeah. I'd never even heard it. And I was like, what do you mean? We all watch it now in Southern California. We actually watched the verdict in school. Yeah. It was very, you know, it was two hours away from where we were. Yeah. And of course it went on. It was the biggest thing of 94, but I had never thought in my mind one time that, what do you mean? If the glove doesn't fit, you must have quit. Like, so give me your take on something like that where we can, 
let our cultural background and uh, maybe so what our family and friends think kind of cloud the way we think everyone thinks. Yeah. So first of all, what what did this study or this book find? I, I, presumably, a large percentage of white Americans thought that he was guilty, and black Americans thought that he was innocent. Is that what the? That's that what, what it's. That was the first time I'd ever heard it. I was like, uh-huh. I didn't know anybody thought he was actually guilty. Interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. so to be fair. Right, you and I were both fairly yeah, young. Yes, at that we're, point. we're and I eight, don't, nine, ten, eleven years old. I don't actually remember right. the details. I remember yes. the car chase. Right, that was pretty cool to watch the car chase from the yes. helicopters or whatever. But I don't actually remember anything about the trial. But absolutely, my perception is that most of the people I knew thought that he got away with murder. That was absolutely the the people that were around me in in my little subculture. Everybody thought that he, that he got away with it. And now, you, you and that never crossed your mind. Never you crossed, thought, no, yeah, because so everybody that I was around, very interesting. It was innocent. Yeah. And of course, the judge, Judge Ito, for all of you who actually remember. Uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, no, he was he was innocent. He was acquitted and all that. Now there were civil trials and things after that. Now I do understand that, and I'm not bringing it up once again because I'm sort of forensic scientist or law professional. But the idea that the line was split right down of a cultural yeah. or racial divide in America was something I hadn't realized. That's pretty because I did not grow up in an environment yeah. where it was I was around people at home who thought like I thought. Yeah, sure. And I thought everyone must sure. have thought like us. I've told you before, my yeah. freshman year, now even though we lived in a bubble uh, at, at our university, I remember being a dorm student and getting thrown in with three other roommates sure. that I'd never met before. And even though they actually were quite a bit like me, I remember my first week in college, I'd been homeschooled, I'd lived a very sheltered life. And I remember like waking up and realizing, holy cow, these people are not like me. Like they don't think like me. They don't make decisions like I do. They don't value the same things. And it was a shock to me that the, and, and in retrospect, they were actually remarkably like me, but they were more different than anything I'd ever experienced. But, but I think that same little, I mean, that was just a little tiny microcosm. There are absolutely all kinds of people that think very differently and I'm sure you and I think differently on of a lot course, of things. Of course, and, yes. But, but we just assume that everybody's like us, at least I do. Right, right. And of course, sometimes it's easy to bring up uh, in conversations with friends and family some things that are differences of opinion and blind spots, but they're not very divisive. They right. can just be fun. So here's one of those. Okay. We'll go there, okay. then we'll go deep again okay. maybe, because we probably already triggered a few people by things that I've said so far. All right, here's one. That is just now, of course, when we're, we're we have to do a lot of generalization, of course, yep. on a podcast like this. So we understand that, too. It's general. However, black people do not put stickers on their cars. Interesting. And white people put all sorts <laughs> of stickers. The black people don't do that. And I've been handed because it's a wonderful tchotchke to get your brand out there and whatever. Uh-huh. We've all been handed a million, yeah. whether or not you've put a million yeah. stickers on your car. We've yeah. all been handed a million stickers. Well, I would never put a sticker on my car. For the record, I think that's just a smart people thing because I don't okay, put stickers on my good. car either. All right, so we can good. agree on that. We one. got that one. All right. Here's your black card. All right. So we're, we're trying to get Tim in the club here for the Black Coalition. Okay, here's one that I did kind of mention earlier is um, choices of entertainment. Yeah. Music, movies, um, things that you do choose, whether or not you choose to participate. I know you're not a big entertainment guy and you don't spend a lot of time watching movies, but the things that you might watch, the channels, the artists that you enjoy, such a big cultural divide. And then between that culture, it's not just who you're listening to, but of course what they might be saying or producing, right? So there's so many differences. So I'm going to grow up in a house that is going to know gospel music in a way that maybe you didn't. So right. we're both coming from what we would consider 
Christian families, mm-hmm. right? So we go to church, we participate in uh, religious activities sure. and stuff like that. But some of the culture around that, even if the belief system is similar, yep. they're completely different. Yep. So when I go to church, I expect it to be a certain way. Right. And when you go to church, right. maybe the same words are said, but maybe they're said in <laughs> 30 minutes rather than three hours. <laughs> right. So give me some um, ideas there that you think uh, in terms of entertainment choices or cultural choices with music or entertainment or even even maybe a sub-church culture that you've noticed are different. Well, so see, that's the problem with blind spots. Like I just assume that everybody's like me. And so I don't think about those things until you say something about okay. it because I'm, I'm like, you ask a fish what water is like, I don't know what water is. Okay. Like that's, I, so I don't know. Gotcha. I, okay. Well, here's, here's one. So for instance, I think that, uh, uh I've learned that, uh, in a, in a black culture church, there's a lot more, everybody knows that there's normally more liveliness right. going on, right? Sure. And this is generalizations because we have to throw in de- different mm-hmm. denominations and stuff yeah, too, yeah. right? Um, because I got Presbyterian friends and Catholic yeah. friends and and um, they, they, that means completely different things, right? But in a black church, you might find a lot more lively experience, sure. right? You sure. might get up, you might talk, you might have a longer service, you might agree with the preacher <laughs> verbally right. and you go to a different culture church and you're like, Ain't nothing happening in right. here. Like, is anyone listening? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I've also heard that in culture um, and the type of listener and a type of learner is completely different. And so this one bleeds into corporate and communication and environment is that some learners respond verbally to let you know that they're with you. And that's how people learn and think or let you know and how you get your feedback. But you're in some environment, school, church, whatever, or corporate. And sometimes a person like me might ask a question 50 times. You guys with me? Because yeah. I'm not hearing any feedback. You yeah. know, does anybody, is anybody with me? So I just came from an MLK luncheon. Lots of communities and corporate cultures have those. But uh, all the people in there, uh, 90% of them from the community, Greer, South Carolina, they, uh, it was put on by the city. It was a wonderful yeah. event I just came from. First off, I was told by the folks who put it on, who are, I've worked with several times, great yep. folks, white folks in the city. I was told it'd be one hour. Yep. Well, it was three. <laughs> Wasn't even close yep. to one. I mean, we hadn't gotten to the food by one hour. And we've had two songs and the songs for a city event, civic event, gospel songs. It was yep. a church choir, which might've thrown someone off or sure. whatever. But I think a lot of times out there, we fail to remember that MLK was actually a Baptist preacher. Yep. I think we've whitewashed him quite a bit when it comes to religious culture in our communities. Um, another thing about that is uh, feedback. So we had a um, uh, keynote speaker. Uh, he spent time in the South Carolina house. Uh, he was a pallbearer for JFK, and that's what he wrote a book about. So in 1963, he walked us through kind of what was going on and the fact that he was trying to get out of the army, but he worked at Arlington National Cemetery, and so he was called back to active duty because yep. the president had gotten assassinated. Okay. Crazy story. But the entire room was given this man verbal feedback. When the pe- person sang or you or someone liked something, they stood up, you know. And there's people around, and and that for me is very much a, a culture thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks may feel uncomfortable if they didn't grow up in a culture with right. loud verbal right. feedback right. to a speaker. And right. for me, I'm getting told all the time in different contexts that I'm in. Of course, I did minor league baseball and college basketball emceeing. Um, the culture of a black community for church or a civic event might be kind of boisterous comparatively to whoever you're with. 
And people say all the time to me, mostly white folks, they say things like, hey, I hope I didn't distract. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't distract me. What are you talking about? I was, I thought you were with me. You yeah, know what right. I'm saying? I was, I was wondering why you got up and left. Well, I had to cough. Cough? Like, no, you can get up and say things and you can ask questions or whatever and give me feedback. So have you ever been in those environments or felt like yourself out of place when you've seen a big group of people yeah. kind of acting a different way when oh, yeah. they're actually participating? They feel Absolutely. they're participating. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, I think I've been aware enough, culturally aware enough to realize that I, in that case, I was in the minority and that that was normal and I could just deal with it. But yeah, it did. It, it's a little, it's always uncomfortable for me, at least when I find myself in a group where I am very much unlike the rest of the people. So before we run out of time, I want to, I want to ask you a question yes. and I want to make a point. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the point is for a long time, and I'm not, I'm not proud of the statement that I'm about to say. I actually wish this weren't true, but it is true. For a long time, I thought that diversity and inclusion and all these corporate effort that it was this politically correct, really empty, kind of stupid thing to do. Like hire somebody on the merits, like because they're the best equipped for the job, not because they're female or minority or whatever. Like I just thought that the whole idea of diversity and inclusion was just crock. It was stupid. And then at some point, I sort of accidentally hired someone who was very unlike me, mm -hmm. very different from me. And I noticed that in meetings and when we were trying to solve problems, the perspective that she brought was very different from everybody else in the room. And it often made the solution better. It certainly made the conversation richer. And our problem solving was more complex and more, and more valuable. And over time, as I started the organization grew and it wasn't, it was not an intentional effort on my part, but over time as the organization grew and just sort of naturally became more diverse, I found, wow, it is really valuable to have a diversity of opinions and experiences in the room. And I, and I've completely changed my tune on that. So I, I don't know who's listening to this, but if you believe as I did for a long time, that, that it's stupid to intentionally pursue, like, to actually be intentional about seeking out people that have different backgrounds from you, I would encourage you to, to rethink that. That took me a long time to come to that conclusion. Should have been there a lot sooner, but that was my experience. So I, I wanted to say that on the record. But I want to ask you before we run out of time here, what kinds of, give us, don't name names unless you want to, but what are some maybe unfortunate experiences that you had at the hands of people like me that maybe were well-meaning and we didn't even know that we were making life difficult or complicated or awkward or whatever. And like, what should I be more sensitive to? What should I watch out for? Maybe our listening audience would share some of my problems. What do I need to be careful of so that I don't unnecessarily make life difficult for you? I think an assumption for a majority culture often, and I'll call it majority culture because the culture in your corporate community or your family or whatever can be dominated by one perspective yeah, or, or sure. two perspectives maybe or something like that what you're missing out on is exactly what you said you're missing out on two things and one of them is having a better solution or an opportunity to serve customers or clients because you're missing out on perspective of people you're serving yep we're global citizens when it comes to business so much more often than we were a generation or two or three ago and so having the diversity diversity of thought and processing to get to the conclusions and goals that you're having won't be there unless you have diversity of thought 
for those conclusions. Sure. So that is one big thing. The second thing is actually stifling or um, limiting the perspective of the people on your team to the point where they won't feel comfortable being themselves, giving their opinion, giving their cultural background, giving their perspective on something. And when you don't have people opting into the conversation, even though maybe everyone looks different, or acts different, has different skill sets in your environment, you're going to have a subpar team because folks don't feel comfortable or respected giving their difference of opinion. Now, I think the unity of the mission can always still be there, but we can come at that mission. You think of it as climbing a mountain, and if that mountain has a base that has lots of ways to start, but we're all trying to reach the peak, let everybody start climbing from their own angle of the mountain. But just know that, hey, we're all trying to get here at the peak together. So let's think about where we're trying to go, why we're trying to go there, what the mission and vision is around here. But let everybody hack at that vision until the mission is complete. So put some flesh and flesh on those bones. Like, what does that look like? How in in very practical terms, if I am a leader in a in a company, in a civic organization, a, a family, what can I do differently? Practical terms to make sure that I'm not stifling the opinions of somebody that maybe has a different background from me, that I'm actually learning from and valuing that person or those people. What does that look like? What yeah. should I do differently? When you're trying to go for a certain goal or perspective, and I'm going to take it from a, um, I'll give you some practicalities here in a second, why I come up with this because of things that people have said to me or haven't said to me. It's, uh, for instance, it's a tie down. If you're using a tie down in your verbiage and language to someone, it may not be very helpful when you're trying to come at it from Trying to come at the mission from someone else's vision. So I don't hey, know that term. What do you okay, mean a tie-down? A tie-down would be, hey, so you like broccoli, right? Mm. You see, we're making uh. an assumption and we've tied them down, you know, to a certain perspective. When we have no idea if they like broccoli. Yep. Hey, you know that the greatest Christmas movie of all time is Die Hard, right? You see, we've tied them down. So that's a tie down. Okay. And uh, that is that doesn't mean, of course, we don't know if that person is yep. like that. So a way you can come about this, and I'll give you a perspective, is a uh, way you can come about this is asking for someone's opinion up first. Hey, how do you feel about broccoli? Okay. You see how that's a much different yep. question, yep. right? Uh, you like broccoli, right, is actually a yes or no question. Yep. But how do you feel about it? Give someone the perspective to be able to expound. Yep. And that can be really helpful in, like you said, lots of different relationships, including your family or your children or something like that. Uh, Here's another way to go about it. Hey, the goal is to go here. I think we're on the same part of the mission or the vision of where we're trying to get to, but I need your perspective. I don't know X and Y and Z. Could you help me see it from your perspective? Mm. Very practical and simple and wise. Yeah, simple. Yeah. So I'll actually get into. I'll go back once again on MLK Day. Let's get cultural for one second. Is I grew up in an environment where, by the time I got to high school, anyway, I remember moving to the South. Now I thought this was the East. Now the South is a culture, <laughs> right? We're literally the right. last state before the ocean. I did not know that was the South. Now some of that was the perspective that lots of other people do know, but I did not. So one of the things that I heard from teachers actually in South Carolina was, um, you know, there were a lot of good Christian Bible thumping, God loving people who owned slaves and it colored the picture. Like, are you trying to say that was okay? And of course, American slavery has a, a, such a connotation of horror of, uh, you know, sure. And, and all those things. And it was very strange to realize 
that the majority culture could and would say things and assume things because of the literal word majority. You'd never say that if you were on the mm. opposite end. Mm. And I think sometimes around 2020 and beyond when so many things came to light in the media, and I think many of us are getting more smart about having better conversations around diversity, inclusion, culture, and equity, is, uh, well, the minority sometimes doesn't say anything because they're the minority. Mm-hmm. Sure. So who's there to back me up if I say, I don't think this is a good idea, or I think you're wrong about this. If you're the minority, sometimes you'd like to keep your job. Yeah. Or you'd like to have this fade away and hope they don't bring it up again. Or you'd want folks to think well of you by not being combative. Right. So you just don't say anything. And I think that probably happens more often than we all think. Yep. Is that the minority is the minority. So they're less likely to have power, authority, opinions, or corroboration with other voices to help better the conversation. It's good stuff. So takeaways, among other things, ask open-ended questions, not tie-downs. How do you feel about broccoli? Not You like broccoli, right? <laughs> um, a- ask for other people's pers- perspectives, especially if there's somebody in the room that is not participating. Maybe they don't feel safe maybe they don't feel valued but if you can specifically ask them hey this is what i'm trying to accomplish this is what we're trying to accomplish but i'm not sure how to go about it or x y and z so i need your perspective what do you think about this or what advice do you have for me asking those kinds of questions are actually going to draw out maybe an opinion from somebody that otherwise wouldn't feel safe to share of course and then of course you have to the next step of course is you need to move on those things right You need to value them in a way, even if it's not your perspective or decision final, uh, to go their opinion or direction. You just need to value that in a way that it's been heard, it's been confirmed, it's been tested and tried, and uh, it makes people feel like they're a part of the group. Good stuff. We could talk for a long time. We could. Um, I think this is a good stopping point. Jeremiah, thanks. I have I've appreciated our friendship for a long time. I've learned a lot from you. I expect I'll learn a whole lot more. But thanks for uh, having an interesting and and uh, potentially challenging conversation. I don't think it was. I don't wasn't challenging for me. I don't think it was for you. But thanks for having it just the same. And I hope it was helpful to our listening audience to maybe rethink some of your perceptions and maybe some blind spots that you have that you just haven't reevaluated or haven't evaluated recently. Ladies and gentlemen, why don't you go have a great conversation with someone who thinks and looks and feels a little bit differently than you and let us know. Give us some feedback about your growth in the areas of blind spots, especially culturally. All right. Good luck, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's Grow With Tim podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to show us some love by following us here and on our other social media platforms. You'll find all the links at growwithtim.com.